this morning, uh, our guest speaker, he uh, is a pastor down in Southern California. Actually, he, he was the youth pastor at Calvary Chapel Vista in San Diego, and he and his family went to plant a church in Paris, Texas, and they raised people up in that church to oversee it, and they came back to San Diego, and now Pastor Jason Duff is the uh, teaching pastor at Calvary Chapel Vista, a very large church in Southern California. And he came and he was the speaker for our conference. And kind of the way that that happened was we had a junior high retreat earlier this year in March. We went to Woodleaf um, to the Young Life retreat up there. And we had there was about 400 or so junior high students. And at that time, Katie and I, my, we were um, praying about and looking for a speaker for Pure Freedom. We had wonderful speakers in the years past. And uh, we, ha- we had come up empty-handed until that time and... And within the first session, five minutes of Pastor Jason talking and having these junior hires in the palm of his hand, I was like, this is the guy. We're pursuing this guy. So I asked him, and he graciously said yes. And so we're pleased to have Pastor Jason for this conference and for um, sharing the word this morning with us. Pastor Jason, come on up. Yes, it is my privilege to be here with you this weekend. I've been here with my uh, wife and three kids all weekend, and just uh, it's my privilege because I'm telling you what, you guys have some of the greatest group of, of youth pastors I, I've, I've met, you know, you really do, really guys that love Jesus and uh, love the kids and, uh, and love the Lord and love you guys, and so um, I just, uh, you're really blessed, you really are, and uh, so it's been a privilege for my wife and I and our three kids, I've got a 10-year-old daughter, Haley, a 8-year-old son, Jonathan, and then my little girl is 6, and so uh, just a really fun, really fun stage in, in all of our lives, and uh, excited to get in the Word with you this morning. So let's do that. Why don't we open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, and if you are physically able, something I like to do, why don't you stand with me as we read a portion of God's Word this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. If you can't, no big deal, but if you can stand up, why don't we do that as we read just a few verses here out of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look starting in verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul is writing, Paul the Apostle, and he says, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you so much for just everything you have done in our lives. Thank you for dying for us, for loving us, and just drawing us to your side. God, every one of us, Lord, we're, we're so wicked and we have hearts that can be so far from you and yet your love is so consistent in our lives. You are so faithful. And I pray that you would be faithful once again this morning, that you would just whisper your heart and your truth into our hearts, Lord. And we will give you the glory that you so deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, all of us have roles and responsibilities that we have been given by the Lord. 
Some of you guys in the room, you are husbands and fathers, that the Lord has called you to love your wife like Christ loves the church and, and to pour a foundation of godliness into your, your kids. And that is, a, that is an important task. Some of, you, some of you ladies in the room, God has called you to be wives and mothers and your job is to come alongside your husband and respect him and of course raise up those kids to know and love Jesus and that can be a difficult, difficult task. Some of you are single men and women and God has called you to live for the Lord in a difficult generation to be single and pure and love God and he's called you to do that and shine his light into your sphere of influence. You know, those that are kids, God's called them to honor their parents. I mean, all of us have roles and responsibilities responsibilities given by the Lord. And we know those roles, we know those responsibilities, but what we so often forget is we forget the prerequisites that God tells to us. In other words, here in Ephesians chapter 5 and into Ephesians 6 is, is a lot of things we're supposed to do. It's where we're told as husbands to love our wives. It's, it's where we're told, those of you that are wives, to respect your husbands. It's where kids are encouraged to, to honor mom and dad and, and, and the rules and responsibilities and work relationships. I mean, it's all there. But before Paul ever says any of that, before he tells husbands to love their wives and wives to love their husbands, before he ever gives instructions to young men and women, back in verse 18 that we just read, he says, first of all, you must be filled with the Spirit. If you're ever going to be the man God is calling you to be, if you're ever going to be the woman God is calling you to be, the prerequisite is we must be filled with the Spirit. Now, prerequisites are important. If you've taken a college class, you may understand that. You know, you see that, you know, prerequisite, must take this before you take that class. I, I've been out of Bible college for 15 years now. But just recently, I decided to go back to seminary just to kind of learn more and grow more and, and, and become a better teacher of God's Word. And, 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 and as I've been doing that, you know, when the first class list hit, I realized at our church we were going to do a series on salvation and sin. And I saw three or four classes down the list with soteriology, which is the study of those kind of things. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to take class number five and take my college class and prep for the messages. It was such a brilliant plan, let me tell you, except for this. It said, must take as a prerequisite Theology 101. Now, I honestly thought, come on now. I mean, I have been a Bible teacher for 15 years. I've taught the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation now. And I thought, man, Theology 101... I got that. I got that. I got that. I don't, I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and get ahead and oh, what, what, what a master of time management I am. <laughs> Until the first quiz came. And the first question was, why in light of soteriology was it important to study prolegomena? <laughs> Prolo what? <laughs> what? What chapter is that about in the Bible? I don't, I don't remember that chapter. And then, and then how can you use soteriology to defeat monism? Who's Mona? Is all I want to know. I mean, I don't understand. Where, where is this stuff in the Bible? And I thought, oh, maybe I should have taken the prerequisite. Maybe I should have started with the first class. Why? Because prerequisites are important. And again here, before we're ever told the things we're to do as men and women after God's heart, we are given the prerequisite, and that is verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. 
But Bible students understand that phrase, be filled, it is packed full of information to help us understand what God truly is desiring from you and me. That simple phrase, be filled, is a plural verb in the present passive imperative tense. Now you say, oh boy, seminary student, here we go. Let's go through it slowly so we all can understand. First of all, that phrase, be filled, is imperative. And what does that mean? It means it is a command. God is not saying to you, hey, it might be a good idea. Hey, it's a great suggestion. If you want to get around to being filled with the Spirit, we should do that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is something, it's a must. If you're ever going to be the man God wants you to be, if you're ever going to be the woman God wants you to be, you must be filled with the Spirit. It is a command, gang. Have you ever been commanded before? I remember one time I was. I was a youth pastor at the time and... And, and there at the school, we had a, a or at the church, we had a school attached to the church, and, and we had a football team there with our high school, and, and uh, my assistant, my right-hand man in the youth ministry was the head coach, and so I told him, I'm also going to be a coach. I made him hire me as a coach, and, uh, and I did that so I could get out of work early and watch football. It was great, and uh, they handed me a whistle, and I could blow it when the play was over. I didn't do much. I just stood there and hung out with kids. It was great. It was great. But I remember one day, I was, I was discipling one of our young guys in our youth group, and if you've ever worked with young men and women or ever done discipleship, you know, a lot of times it's like you're ministering against a wall, like nothing's getting through, nothing's getting through, but this one day, it was like the wall was coming down, and this kid was beginning to understand, and it was, he was getting what, what we were going, he was sharing with me what God was teaching him in his time through the Word. It was such a great time that we lost track of time until he looked at his watch and almost lost his mind. Oh, no! I'm late for football practice. I'm late, I'm late. Coach McKay's going to kill me, he says. Now, I said to him, no, 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 no. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Now, I understood why he was a little worried, because Coach McKay is a giant Nordic of a man. He really is. I mean, he must be a direct descendant of the Vikings, I'm pretty sure, because... You know, he was Nevada State wrestling champion two years in a row back in the 90s and then went into the Marine Corps as a drill sergeant. That's the kind of guy this is. When we first hired him to work with me in youth ministry, he was so excited to do campus ministry, to go on the public school campuses. Our first day doing, he's pacing in my office like, are you ready to go? You ready to go? Calm down, man. You ready to go? I'm so excited. He grabs my head and headbutts me. (laughs) So hard, he cut my forehead open and I started bleeding. Like our first day, I'm like, Sorry for the blood. <laughs> We're excited to be here. At least one of us really is excited to be here. That's the kind of guy he is. So, so I understand why the kid was nervous, but I tried to explain him, look, Pastor Phil works for me, and, and it's going to be okay. You're with me. You weren't, <clears throat> excuse me, you weren't hanging out with a girl. You weren't, like, playing video games at home. You, you were with me. It's going to be okay. But, you know, he, and so I thought it was going to be okay. Until we pulled into the parking lot and that big giant Nordic of a man ran toward my car and his, his hands landed on my hood and he starts screaming at this kid. He's like, how dare you disrespect your teammates? Man, we are a team. It's not about you. It's about the team. And he's, he's just screaming. He scuts over to my, my passenger window and literally drags the kid out of my car through the window, like Dukes of Hazard style, like did not open the door, just right through the window and keeps screaming at him, if you're going to disrespect your team, then you're going to run all practice. And he just throws him by his face mask toward the field. <laughs> now, I got out of my car. <laughs> and I very quietly approached Coach McKay. I said, uh, hey, youth pastor Phil. <laughs> Um, what are you doing? 
well, I don't understand what's going on. I mean, he was with me. We weren't, we weren't messing. He was, he was going through the word together. I mean, we were together. Very calm, I was being, I thought. And I thought I was being very rational until Coach McKay started to yell at me. <laughs> oh, you think I'm out of line? You think what I'm doing is unfair? Do now. Absolutely. <laughs> do, do now. If you think I'm unfair, he says, he says, then you run in his place. And he threw me toward the field. But you know what I did for the next hour and a half? I ran. I did. Absolutely. I ran. You know why? Because as he looked at me with those Nordic eyes, it was not a suggestion. It wasn't like, yeah, you're looking a little fluffy. You might want to run for a little while. It was like, run or I'll eat you. That, that, was, that was the desire. It was a command. And so too, I, I share that story with you. Yeah, to get you to laugh a little bit. But, but, but really, so you can understand the heart of the Greek text here. I mean, Paul is not an angry Nordic man, nor is the Lord. But... But the heart is that this is not a suggestion. This is not a maybe kind of thing. You must, you must, you must. If you are ever going to be the man or woman God is calling you to be, you must be filled with the Spirit. It is a command, not a suggestion. The second thing we see about this phrase, be filled, is not only is it imperative, meaning it is a command, but it is in the plural tense, meaning it is a command for everyone, for all of us. It's a command for all of us. You know, sometimes when we hear things like, be filled with the Spirit, read your Bible and pray every day, we think, well, that's, that's good for some people. I mean, Pastor Ross needs to hear that because, you know, it's not, it's not on him because he's the pastor and so he's got to be filled with the Spirit. He's got to be in the Word and Pastor Adam and Pastor Jim, you know, they need to be filled with the Spirit but I'm just, I'm just Bob who sits in the back row. You know, back row Bob. That's all I am and... If you really are in the back row and your name is Bob, I, I, don't, I don't know you. I'm not calling you out or anything, you know. Of course, if your name is Bob and you're in the back row and you're resisting the Holy Spirit, hello. God's speaking to you. But some of us just have problem with rules. We think we're above the... My wife, bless her heart, she, she can be that way at times. Not with God's rules, no, no, but with other rules. We were at Disneyland a few years back when my kids were a little bit younger and my son at the time was six and his heroes back then were like God, Buzz Lightyear, and Dad in that order. That was it. Sometimes. Sometimes Buzz. Anyways, but the reality was he loved Buzz Lightyear and they had the Pixar parade back then and, and, and I, had, I had set out the strategy. I knew right we were going to eat dinner. I knew right when we would be out of dinner and I timed it so that we would come out and have the perfect seats right when the parade started. A lot of thought went into this, this whole process. But you guys, if you've been there, you know how Disneyland can be. The lines are too long. Everything costs too much and it just takes, the process is just a little too long and so we came out of dinner and we had just missed the parade. Just the very end of it was going by. And my son like looks up at me, you know, and starts his lip starts quivering like buzz, buzz. And I start like immediately going into rationalization mode. Like, okay, son, here's the deal. I'll come back tomorrow. I'll buy new tickets tomorrow. We'll make this work. I'm so sorry. Oh, I just it was dinner and uh, and I'm trying to reason with him on why we missed buzz. My wife grabs him and starts running down the parade route. Now, at the very end of the parade, there are these people dressed up in costumes with lights going like this, you know? <laughs> Waving lights. And as they're in the back, what they're saying, they're, they're trying to be all Disney, like, oh, we're part of the parade, we're part of the parade. But what it means to most of us is, don't come this way. Parade is over. 
you're not allowed to walk this way. But my wife just ran right on these people with the flashlights, and she's like, oh, and right past them. Other parents are trying to help her, like, ma'am, um, you're not part of the parade. What are you doing? She didn't care. She kept running down the parade route until she got to the Buzz Lightyear part of the float. And then I'm told, I'm told, I, I'm told because I wasn't there. I was uh, being a by citizen with my two daughters. I was, I was back there. But I was told that Buzz, like, went out of the float, pointed at my son, gave him, like, an air high five. And from that moment on, it's been God, Buzz, and my wife as his heroes. But... She just, you know, the rules don't apply to her. It's fine, so. And that's, that might be great when it's your kids and it's Disneyland and stuff like that, but when it comes to the, to the Bible, that, that can be serious. Because we, we, we think, you know, hey, yeah, I know some people should be pure, but, but I, I, can, I can mess around with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I can, I can live with someone. And I'm just, I'm above the fray. Precious one, God isn't mad or upset at you, but no, you're not. The rules apply to you. The rules apply to you. It all applies to every single one of us. These things are for us. And that's the heart of the word again. This is a command. It is a command for every single one of us in the room today. It's imperative, meaning it's a command. It's plural, meaning it's a command for all of us. Thirdly, it's passive, meaning you can't do it yourself. You can't fill yourself with the Spirit. You can't do it by taking a walk in the beautiful woods that they have around here, contemplating your navel. I mean, that's just, that's not how it's going to be done. And the bad news is, okay, I can't do it myself, but the good news is, the good news is God wants to fill me with His Spirit. And He's the one that does it. In fact, that's what He told His disciples in Luke chapter 11. He says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And him who knocks it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any a father among you, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And then he says this, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Did you hear that? I mean, we know those verses. Ask, it'll be given, seek. Usually while we're watching Christian TV, you hear those verses quoted. Ask, and it'll be given, seek, and you shall find. <laughs> the Lamborghini, the million-dollar check. But precious church, God's not talking about a Lamborghini here. He's not talking about a million-dollar check. But what He's saying is, look, I know that you can't, you don't have what it takes to be the man or woman I'm calling you to be. You just don't. I'm sorry if that hurts you or offends you today. It's just the truth. You don't have what it takes to be who God is calling you to be, but he says, I want to give you my spirit. You need my spirit. I want to give it to you. If you just ask, if you just call out, I want to give to you my spirit. You see, this is a command. It is a command for everyone. It is something we can't do to ourselves, but we come to him and say, God, I need you so desperately. Fill me with your spirit and then fourth and finally, the verb is imperative, meaning, meaning it's supposed to be continual in our lives. It's in the present tense, sorry, meaning it's continual. It's imperative, meaning it's a command. It's plural, meaning it's a command for everyone. It's passive, meaning you can't do it yourself. You go to Him. And finally, it's in the present tense, meaning it is continual. You see, being filled with the Spirit is not just a one-time thing. It's not just what happens once when we receive the Lord as our, as our Lord and Savior. It doesn't happen just once. It's some kind of revival. What Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5, it could be translated, be being filled with the Spirit. 
continually be filled with the Spirit. It needs to be something that's a daily operation. You know, what I've learned is that when I spend time with the Lord in the morning, when I take time to to read His Word and talk to Him for a few minutes, one of the things I talk to Him about is, Lord, I am so dumb, I will mess everything up today if given the chance. And maybe that's just me, and that doesn't apply to you at all today. Some of you are giving me these blank stares. You liars. You know it applies to you. You know you know what I'm talking about. And you talk it over the Lord. Lord, I don't know where I'm, I don't know what's happening. God, I need your spirit today to be who you're calling me to be. I need your spirit. It's something we need to continually do and continually pray. Now, maybe some of you Bible students are thinking, well, wait, wait, wait a second, though. Wait, wait a second. I thought that the minute I received the Lord as my Savior, the minute I responded to his initiation in my heart and my life, that his spirit took up residence in my heart and, and he was there to stay. Isn't that true? Absolutely, that's true. Well, then if that's true, why would I need to pray continually, God, fill me with your spirit? I mean, he's there and he's there to stay. Well, listen, friends, I know you're a well-taught congregation, so you probably already know the reason that there are actually three relationships that the Holy Spirit wants to have with mankind. Three relationships. The first two come from John chapter 14, verse 17. John 14, 17, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for, listen, he dwells with you and will be in you. There's the first two. The Spirit starts out with everyone, I believe. With everyone, alongside them, the the word means. And what is he doing? He's doing one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit to convict you and I of sin, to convict us that you need the Lord. You need to respond to him and give your life to him. Again, those of you who, you know, didn't grow up like my wife. My wife has, I think, been saved since the womb. I really believe that. I mean, she grew up just quoting Bible verses. It was like, John 3, 16, gospel of the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's just been her story. And if that's you, okay, maybe you don't remember. But for some of us like me, you remember a time when you didn't know God. And you may have put on a good face. I'm okay, I don't need it. I'm fine. But you know when you put your head down on that pillow at night, you knew you weren't okay. You knew that something was wrong. Why did you know that? Because the Holy Spirit was alongside you saying, you're not okay. It's not okay. Something is missing in your heart. Something is missing in your life. And friends, just by the way, let that be an encouragement when you do get an opportunity to share your faith. Whether you head out with the team and the evangelism they're doing in downtown Santa Rosa or whether, whether you just have open doors at work or at school or with friends. L- listen, I know it can be scary to share our faith. It is scary at times. It's scary for me. But as that happens and as you share, know something, know something. The Holy Spirit has already been at work at that person you're talking to. Oh, again, they can put on the face, I don't need that, that's craziness. I don't need that religious crutch you have. <laughs> but no, but no, but no, but no. As, they're, as you're saying it, they're like, yes, I do, yes, I do, yes, I do, yes, I do, yes, I do. Man, let it be encouragement. And maybe you're here today and you know what I'm talking about because you're far from the Lord. And you know right now the Holy Spirit is right next to you saying you're not okay. Oh, friend, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, don't run from Him anymore. Today be the day you surrender your heart to Him. When you do, when you do, when most of us did, what happened? Well, the Holy Spirit went from being alongside you, and He did. He took up residence inside your heart. 
He is now in there and there to stay. But there's a third relationship the Holy Spirit wants to have with mankind. And that's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where again, Jesus is speaking. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he says this to his disciples. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples, don't you dare try to do ministry in the power of your flesh. Don't try to go out and be disciples in your own ingenuity. He says, no, you tarry in Jerusalem and wait until I endue you with power from on high, until you are filled with the Spirit, until the Spirit comes, as it says in our English translations, upon you. It has this idea in the language of an overflowing relationship of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit now is beginning to affect you and affect others around you. It's beginning to control you. See, understand, precious ones, when I say filled with the Spirit, when Paul says filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, when Jesus says the Spirit's upon you in Acts 1.8, it's not talking about quantity of the Spirit. You know, when we think of filled, we think of Thanksgiving, you know? <laughs> filled with food. What a glorious holiday Thanksgiving is. I mean, food, family, and football. I don't know... I don't know if it gets too much better than that. It's just an amazing time to get together. And I will, I will never forget my first Thanksgiving as a married man 12 years ago. I mean, our whole, all our families lived close at the time. They don't need more. My, my mom has since moved to Dallas, and, and my wife's parents, her, her dad is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Tel Aviv, so he lives in Israel. And, uh, and um, we live in Southern California, so we're all over the place. But that first Thanksgiving, we were all there. And we had a great plan. My family loves to eat early, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and so that was our first stop. And I had this great grand plan to kind of go light at the first one, knowing there were others coming, you know, and so I wanted to kind of take it easy, but it was, it was Mama's house. And, and you, can't, you can't disappoint Mama. And, and so I just piled away the turkey and the mashed potatoes, and oh, glory, glory, glory. But then at five, it was time to go to her parents' house, and I, I again had a plan to come in and take it easy, take it easy, take it easy, but it was my first time eating at Mama-in-law's house, and you don't want to disappoint Mama-in-law. <laughs> I mean, do you? Am I right on that? So all of a sudden, I just kept eating and eating and eating again. But you see, my wife had also said to me a couple, a couple of weeks before, she says, I want us to have our own Thanksgiving. I want to make you a turkey. And I said, woman, do all that is in your heart. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. So at 7 o'clock, we went home and had our own Thanksgiving dinner. And you can't disappoint your new bride. And so I ate and ate and ate and ate. And by the end of the night, I knew why gluttony was a sin. I really did. It was like, oh, Father, help me. Please help me not to die right here on my own couch. Oh, that, that was filled. That was total debaucherous gluttony that day. And some of us think that's what being filled with the Spirit is like. Like, you know, we're like down here, and so we're like, all right, Lord, more of your Spirit. You know, and then he's up here, more, Lord, more. You know, I, that's, not, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. The idea of being filled is once he begins to control who you are. How do I know that? Well, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews that included Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the time. 
And he's talking with them and he shares with them, I'm the Messiah. And of course, you that know your Bibles know they were like, oh, sure you are. Yeah, you're the Messiah, right, whatever. But then he said this. Then he said, but not just of the Jews only. I'm also the Messiah of the Gentiles. And you that know the culture of that time, that was, them were fighting words, as they said in Texas. You know, them were fighting words. That, they lost their mind. How dare this little itinerant preacher say that he's the Messiah, and not just of the Jews, but of the hated Gentiles? He's, he's their Messiah too? And it says that from that moment on, listen, church, they were filled with wrath, and they began to plot the death of Jesus. Now, here's what we often miss, because I know what you do. We, we read our Bibles with our latte in our hand, our little Danish, and we're like, oh, they're filled with wrath. That's interesting. Oh, and they plotted to kill Jesus, Jesus from that moment forward. How nice. That's not nice, gang. I mean, to put it in our vernacular, what if, I, what if I said to you that before first service, I was able to sit in Pastor Ross's office and kind of get ready for today and pray over the notes a little bit. And as I was in there, I happened to see this memo. And it was Pastor Ross and Pastor Jim plotting Pastor Adam's death. <laughs> now, just to be clear, this is a fictitious story. Don't start blogging or anything, putting that on Facebook, like, did you hear? I would love someday to be invited back to this place, so please do not, do not put that online. This is a, this is a what-if story. And, and if that actually did happen, it didn't, if it actually did happen, none of you would be like, oh, that's nice. That's nice. Oh, that's good. That I know, I like when my pastors get together and plot other people's deaths. That's, that's great. No, you'd be like, Time to find a new church. <laughs> you that are visitors would be like, last and final Sunday. <laughs> First and last. <laughs> because that's not okay. It's not okay for our religious leaders to, to plot to kill people. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Write that down. That's the most important point of today. <laughs> we understand this, but understand it was the same thing back then. It wasn't normal for them to kill people but they were filled with wrath. They became different men because wrath was now controlling them. And the point that the apostle was trying to make to us in Ephesians 5 is, I'm filled with God's spirit when God's spirit begins to control me and turn me into a different man and a, or a different woman. See, that's why he links it, as he says there, he says, don't get drunk on wine in which is debauchery, but instead be filled with the spirit. Paul is not just linking those two things randomly. You know, the first time I ever saw it, I thought he was like the typical pastor that realized he was running out of time. And so he's like, oh, okay, I got to start summarizing my points. Don't get drunk and be filled with the Spirit. All right, let's go get donuts. You know, that's, that's, that's not what's happening here. He's linking the two because they are connected. You see, you understand, I know you know this, that, that, that drugs and alcohol, if abused, will turn you into a different man or a different woman. I know that personally because of my father. My father, outside of drugs and alcohol, was a really good dad. I mean, long before there ever was a shark week, I remember sitting on the couch with him and be like, come on, son, let's watch animals eat people. This is great. And it was so fun to sit with him and watch 
these Discovery Channels programs together. I, I remember him reading books to me, and we were the hero of every single story. I was really bummed when I learned to read myself, and I realized that I wasn't in those books. I thought, like, no, I know I'm here somewhere. I know, I know somewhere I'm in this book. And, and then I realized, oh, he was just a really good dad. But I also remember him throwing my mother across the room. I also remember him in the living room grabbing his head saying, may the darkness go away, may the darkness go away when I was five years old. I remember him walking in my room at similar time and saying, I don't love you anymore and I'm leaving this family because drugs and alcohol turned him into a totally different man. And the Lord is speaking to you and I and saying, the flip side of that though, the opposite of that is that God's spirit wants to turn you into a different man or a different woman. You see, we can sit in here and think, I've got issues. Well, welcome to the club. We all do. And we look at God's word and we say, I want to do that. I want to love my wife like Christ loves the church. I want to lay a godly foundation for my kids. I, I want to respect my husband if that would be the case for you. I, I, I want to pour into my kids. I want to be a pure single man or single woman. I want to honor mom and dad, but I can't. There's so much wickedness inside. I choose the wrong thing every single time. What is going on? Why is it this way? Friend, you must be filled with the Spirit. God's Spirit changes us into different men and different women who we desperately need to be. It's what the Spirit of God does. We see it all throughout the Scriptures. We see Him changing the apostles. You know, we think they were these radical, holy men, and eventually they were. But if you know your Bibles, they didn't start out that way. I think James and John is a great example. James and John in Luke chapter 9, they're ministering in the city of Samaria. Most of you know the story. And the Samaritans reject Jesus. We don't want him. We don't have anything to do with him. So as they're leaving, John says, I got a good idea, Lord. Ready for this? Let's call down fire from heaven and set these people on fire. You check it. Luke chapter 9, that's exactly what happened. Let's set them on fire, Jesus. Can you imagine being Jesus at that moment? <laughs> He's like, oy vey, everything I've taught you. That's what you come away with? Set people on fire? Yeah. Big faith, huh? <laughs> Obviously, Jesus says, no. And then he gives them a nickname, you sons of thunder. <laughs> I love that. He's like mocking them. <laughs> but same guy, John, later in his life will write First John. You ever read or studied 1 John? The whole thing's about love. Love your brothers in Christ. Love your sisters in Christ. Love God. It's like, you get it. It's five chapters, but you get it. Love God. Okay, love everybody else. Amen. How does that happen? How does a guy that starts out, set him on fire, turn into give him a hug, apostle? How does that happen? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. How does Peter go from the night that Jesus is betrayed, a little girl walks up to him and says, um, excuse me, aren't you an apostle? Aren't you a disciple? Uh, no, little girl. No, no, crazy, no, of course not. Oh, I 
think you are. Actually, I think you are a disciple. No, 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 I've never knew the man. Who are you talking about? Jesus who? No, 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 you, you are an apostle. And then, and then the Bible tells us Peter starts cursing. He loses his mind because a little girl is calling him out on his discipleship. But 50 days later, just 50 days, Peter will stand in front of a group of thousands, not of little girls, but of men with swords and clubs in their hands. And he will say, Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. Repent, get baptized, get saved right now. And you read that and you think, where did that courage come from? Where did that boldness come from? He became a different man under the power of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to do the same thing in every single one of us today. I know we fall short. God knows you fall short. He knows you look at the example of his word and you say, God, I want that so bad. I so desire to see you deal with that issue in my heart, that bondage that I have. I so desire to be everything you're calling me to be. And we think, oh, Lord, I'll show you, I'll show you. And we make these grand promises. And God says, just be filled with my spirit. Just realize it is a command. It is a command for every single one of you. You can't do it yourself, but if you, if you will go to him and say, God, I am desperate without you. I will never fulfill these things without you, but Lord, fill me with your spirit. You do that continually, and guess what? Like the apostles, Jesus said to them, you follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become everything I and you desperately want to be. It's the power of God's Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, before we close, one last thing. When I was a high school pastor, you know, I was always looking for a resource that I could take young men and women through that would deal with every subject that it was to walk with God. And there really isn't, at least at, at that time, there wasn't something to do. I, I would use Kent Hughes's uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man, but the first two chapters are about, like, you know, being married and having kids. And when you're 14, that doesn't apply. So <laughs> hopefully. But anyways, and it's written to men, so for the rest of you, it wouldn't work either. And so I wanted one book that we could use. And when I started my own church and eventually had the opportunity, it was asked by some of the guys in the leadership of Calvary to, to put together a book that dealt with all of those subjects. And so I wrote a book called The Fundamentals of Walking with God. And, and what it is is those basic things. I mean, chapter one, I've used it as a track. Chapter one's about how to get saved. Why do we need to be saved? How do we surrender our hearts to the Lord? And then chapter two, well, you just heard the audio version of that. It's how am I filled with the Spirit and why is that important? Chapter three is how do I read my Bible and how do I get the most out of devotions? Chapter four, how to pray. Chapter five, how to worship. Chapter six, what is fasting? And why would I want to do that? That sounds awful. <laughs> Later chapters about how do I share my faith? How do I deal with spiritual warfare in my life? 
And so we have that book available for you today. And again, it's written for a wide audience. I mean, it's simple enough for junior high to high school students to understand. And that's just because that's who I am. And some people, they read it and they're like, thanks for making it so easy to understand. And I'm like, that's all I got. Thank you so much for that. That's, I was trying to be as brilliant as possible. <laughs> But it's also, I wrote it as an adult to adults to the church that I was, I was pastoring at the time. And so it really it's written to, to all groups. And so I have a table out back. I'd love to meet you after the service and get that book into your hands, even if you can't afford it. I mean, it's 10 bucks, but if you can't afford it, we'd love to give it to you. Uh, we gave it away to a bunch of kids yesterday that couldn't afford the, we sold them to $5, so sorry, you have to, you have to pay the real price. But anyways, but if you can't, though, we'd love to hand it to you. But if you can, pay the $10. We do take cash, credit cards, checks, all those things. And every dollar, every dollar, every dollar goes for a really good cause. Every dollar goes to feed hungry kids. My own hungry kids. But um, anyways, let's pray. (laughs) Father, you are so good. And we love to worship you. We love to learn of you. And I know for me, Lord, I, I love that you know us. You just know us. You know that we are dust, as your word it describes. You know our frame, Lord, that it is weak. And yet you have these great things for us, Lord. You, you, you desire that we would be, for those it applies, godly men, godly fathers, godly dads. But as men, we readily admit, at least I do, I, I don't have what it takes to do that. I need you and I need your spirit. I know there are precious gals in here that you've called them to be godly moms and godly wives and the reality is they don't have what it takes. God, would you fill them with your spirit? I know there are some radical single young men and women in here that just want to live for you but the pressures are so huge in the culture today. The temptations lie all over the place. God, would you fill them with your spirit? Give them the ability to live for you and change, Lord, their schools and their workplaces. God, I pray for our precious kids in the the children's ministry, Lord. They're called to honor and obey their mom and dad. Lord, we all remember that isn't easy either. Would you fill our kids with your spirit? Would you give them the ability just to be the young men and women you're calling them to be? God, I want to take an opportunity to pray for Pastor Ross today and his family, you'd bless him. And as he's on a vacation for just a couple of days of rest, just refresh him and fill him with your spirit. May he come back ready just to love and teach and disciple this precious congregation. Lord, may all of us be filled with your spirit. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.